Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeff, for the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. The last podcast was the NFL Draft podcast. Thanks again to Thor Nystrom uh, for joining us or joining me. I should, I guess I should say on that. Two podcasts ago was the ranking podcast number one, which means this is rankings podcast number two, which means we're joined by Dustin Shooty. Dustin Shooty, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great. Cheers, guys. By the way, we're recording Cheers. this on Cinco de Mayo. I may or may not have already celebrated with or without a sombrero. Now, <laughs> wait a second. I, I, I swore he was banned. <laughs> I snuck sombrero. in anyway. Yeah. Sombrero shooty. Sombrero shooty. I like that. That's I pretty like good. That. Yeah. Well, which is which is interesting because we got Dustin Foodie that'll Dustin be Foodie, with us for the first part of this shooting. podcast. Yeah. yeah, we got a lot I of like good it. stuff. Yeah, I did. I, I went all out. I I uh, for Cinco de Mayo, I did uh, cilantro lime shrimp over uh, Spanish risotto. That was Ooh. that was the first course, and then uh, did some fajitas, some chicken chicken fajitas. So it was a good night. I've Very booked good. my flight to Minneapolis. I'll be showing up at your door probably tomorrow morning. If there's any leftovers? <laughs> I would take you up on that offer because there's t- actually, I didn't even look at the serving amount. And as I was starting to make the food, I I turned to Mrs. Greek and said, I I I made way too much food. We're going to be eating this the rest of the weekend. So, but worse things worse things can happen. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and may, I don't know. Maybe one of those foods will get onto our rankings podcast because the first. Segment of the rankings podcast. How about that for a segue? First segment of the rankings podcast we'll have is a food and drink combo. We're just going to go top three, go a little bit quicker uh, than maybe if somebody's got an annoying food drink combo that they want to share or an honorable mention, any kind of fun stuff uh, for that one. Um, for that ranking, I'll go first. Dustin will go second. Kurt will go third. So that way when he pairs up Metamucil and Meatloaf, we could leave we could leave it for the grand finale <laughs> or whatever he's got. And then after the food ranking quick podcast, we will get into the 2023 version of the Eyes on Big Podcast Coaches Ranking. This is always one of my favorite podcasts to record every year. For that one, I will announce them. Big Kurt will go first. Dustin will stay in the second hole, and I will finish up on the third. Kurt's putting up his finger. Got I think it's interesting that you chose. It's both meatloaf and metamucil as I think both those are on. Un- <laughs> it was either swinging. It was either I, I checked it with Dustin. It was either metamucil and meatloaf or line and kugels and liverwurst. I wasn't sure which one was better. <laughs> oh man. You know, last time I would have put that out there and I wouldn't have thought you could have topped it, but you did. So I no pressure heard. I mean, you know, nothing nothing going on there, but um you know, there is a there has been a ton of, of transfer portal uh, uh, stuff that's gone down. Way too much for this podcast. We'll be here all night. Uh, Kurt and I will record probably sometime uh, soon once maybe the transfer portal settles down a little bit and we see where some of these Big Ten guys have gone. Some of them are going interconference, uh, going from one Big Ten team to another, which makes it kind of more interesting. And we got some other fun stuff that I think is starting to, to pop here and there. 
Uh, but the one thing that we do want to uh, uh, talk through just really quickly uh, for this house uh, housekeeping item on Friday, April 28th, so one week ago from today, Illinois Chancellor Robert R. Jones introduced the 7th Big Ten Commissioner, Tony Petiti, uh, an announcement that made every Big Ten fan say, who? Huh? Welp? At least it's not Kevin Warren. Kurt, got anything you want to add? First of all, I'm honored that it's our bow tie that got to introduce him. Yep. Way to go, Robert Jones. Uh, so first thing is I wondered how old this guy is. Wasn't easy to find this. It, it, it looks like about 58 years old. He's not a spring chicken. Not a spring chicken, but great background. Harvard Law. He worked at ABC Sports as an attorney. CBS, couple different VP positions there. He's got some bravado to him. He was covering the NFL at CBS, and his famous quote is, basically, I'm responsible for everything you see on Sunday. So a little bit of ego. ego there, but I guess you kind of want that. Shocker, he, a lawyer with an ego. Never never seen that before. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, moved on to CBS College Sports Network, so he's got some college experience. That's nice. COO of Major League Baseball, CEO of MLB Network. So obviously there's a theme here. It's all TV related. So they're saying we want not only to sign great TV contracts, but to to brand ourselves because how do how else do you brand yourself in football other than TV? So I think it's a pretty good hire. I think it's better out of the gate that I I like it more than the last one out of the gate, but we'll see how it goes. I'm skeptical. Uh and the reason being is look, everything with college athletics these days is going towards a the television contract. You want the big sexy deal. Obviously the Big Ten has done a great job at that. But I, I gotta be honest, like I think you this triumvirate here, us three, could sit in a conference room and land a mega deal for the Big Ten Conference when you look at the teams that they have in it. And I just don't understand why they continue to go the route of TV executive. I mean, I understand it from the from the paper's perspective, right? Like, it makes sense when everything's about television contracts. Get a guy who's done that, who's made those deals, who's who's bumped those elbows. I get it from that perspective. I just wonder if he's going to lose sight like Kevin Warren did of what's important to the schools, what's important to the student athletes, that sort of thing that the fans would be more privy to. And so I feel like I think it's an improvement from Kevin Warren, but I'm skeptical about how this is going to go because I don't know that he's going to always have the the interest of the sports. He has no like he has no athletic experience as far as I know. So that's a big concern to me. And as far as you said, losing sight, uh, the site, of course, that he wants to work on is whenever he's shown on camera in his office, that he has all of his credentials behind him on the wall. I mean, obviously, that is one of the most important things a commissioner can do is is project, you know, that that importance onto us peasants uh, as he completely alters the sport. Anyways, I digress. But I, I'm with you there, DS, in the fact that um, when I first saw him sign or, you know, announced or whatever, uh, I never heard of him. You know, Tony Petiti sounds like a dude that was like on the fifth or sixth season of the Sopranos. Never heard of him before. Can't even find anything on him on Wikipedia. Then you read that he's pretty much about TV deals. Well, we've already got the TV deals in place. Yeah. I think the more I've looked into it, 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 it does make more sense. Um, you know, I think another thing is uh, guys about our age. We had the same Big Ten commissioner for essentially what felt like our entire lives, and maybe we just got spoiled by that. We're not going to have 25-year runs or whatever it was for Delaney anymore. 
Um, so maybe this is a guy that is also more uh, transitional to the next guy that would possibly be more long-term. And I would say for the TV stuff, the, these deals are in place, but there could be there could be more changes as far as teams and whatnot. And then I would say him being a, the right person to position the conference for visibility and success, I do think he seems like a good person to do that. Hopefully that is his goal. Uh, hopefully his goal is also to actually interact with the athletic directors and the presidents <laughs> compared to the last guy. And, you know, the, the no college thing, I think, scares us all. But he seems like a sharp enough dude that he can work through it. But time will tell. Yeah, that's well, one weakness is the lack of the college experience. I did want to go through some history of commissioners. He's the seventh commissioner. Of course, Kevin Warren was short lived three years. Jim Delaney, you mentioned 21 years. Jim Delaney was only the fifth in history. And the first commissioner started in 1922. So essentially five commissioners over a hundred years before that. Wow. Two of them, two of them died in office. The other three retired. It's almost like Nebraska. They had they had Devaney and Osborne forever, and then bing, 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 bang, boom. That good good comparison there. How apropos. With uh, the transition from Osborne to the next coach being pretty close to Delaney to the next athletic director would be another thing. Boy, hopefully we don't stay on that path too much longer. All right. So that is the new commissioner. We will move on, go into the food and drink, see if we can have a little bit of fun here. So again, trying to explain this a little bit. We're not, we don't have to get too deep into it. We just stayed in the food thing. We kind of thought movies and TV shows. We'll maybe save that. For another podcast ranking podcast but let's just stay in the food and drink it it seems to be something that people like so what we're going to try to do is just talk about our favorite food pairings okay um so we're going to try to do top three a couple other funny things so the the first thing i'm going to say uh this will be i'll start with a, a controversial take um probably going to get eggs or you know torches th eggs thrown at me or people's going to light torches but here, here we go ready I don't think beer pairs well with almost anything. Everybody talks about beer and pizza, beer and burgers. I I like beer on its own. I like all the food you can name on its own. Pairing beer with that almost any meal is disgusting to me. And I I I tried all the way through my twenties to make it work. You know, because like that's what I thought my buddies wanted. And at some point, you get you get secure enough in your own personality you're like i hate this shit so i don't know if you remember this greek but we actually had this conversation doing the games before thanksgiving about how beer didn't pair well with food and i That's agreed right. with you at the time and then i thought about it and i'm like i like a lot of beer with a lot of different food so i think i got i think the only thing I'm against in terms of beer with food is like the Thanksgiving, Christmas, like that's more of a wine or cocktail type of time. I, I can't agree. I do think though, to that point, I do think that maybe this is on somebody's, I think pizza is more of a soda food. I don't like the pizza. That's beer fair. Pizza is on my pairing, but not with soda, but, but pizza and soda is better Ooh. than pizza and beer. That's for sure. Um, and then, uh, but, but as Kurt, as big Kurt, because we were kind of talking about this a little bit off air, the only beer or the only food that pairs well with beer and it's a specific beer is sushi and Sapporo. I have no idea why, but that is the combo that could have made my top three 
Uh, and it has to be Sapporo. I don't I don't know why. I don't know why that is, but that 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 is a good pairing. I, I agree with you. Great pairing. Although if I could somehow bring a Yabisu beer, Japanese beer over here and and try that with sushi, I'd love to see what that's like. Because you had time in Japan. That that was I your drank, favorite Japanese beer. That was my favorite Japanese beer, Yabisu. Well, I like Japanese whiskey, so I would definitely give it a, a shot. And then the other one I wanted to add was just my annoyance. Um this is this is basically anybody 20 years or or older going to a nice restaurant okay not you know not your corner place or applebee's i don't know who goes to applebee's anymore to be honest with you but not so not one of those places but like if you go to a nice restaurant and you are i'm gonna say 21 years or older and you get a nice meal and somebody orders a diet coke or something <laughs> like that like it annoys me so much grow up D- pair your nice meal with a grown-up drink this is ridiculous and he drink liquor you child or at least water in the wine glass right something like lie to me yes but diet coke oh gosh okay all right so i'll go into my top three pairings here we go number one and two are bullet the only one that is going to be weird uh i kind of alluded to it is pizza and milk yes that's right i love pizza and Whoa. milk together oh we got the surprise guest kurt we've got jim harbaugh actually here for this episode <laughs> hey you know what whole milk i will actually make that distinction that is that is okay. a great point i bet me and harbs could pair up some some food together i don't know what it is it i'm pretty sure it was something that we started in the greek household way back in the day why? Because we went through gallons of milk nonstop. You can you can ask one of the ancient Greeks. My mom, she would tell you the same thing. And when we had pizza, I don't know. It, it, it's what it's what pairs up now. Pizza and a soda, you know, like like a that. Then drinking, you know, Pepsi or Coke, whatever your flavor is. That that also is a good pairing. All right, number two, easy, easy brisket and bourbon. It's oh. like it's like they're made each other i mean if you are slow cooking a brisket all day and your cooker and your smoker and then you know maybe about you got you got about two hours to go and you start you start sipping on the bourbon then by the time you pull it out let it let it rest pair it up with the, the brisket oh chef's kiss almost as good as my number one which i think should definitely be number one then i got a bonus food on here a nice ribeye with a great bottle of wine, red wine. That is that if if I ever got convicted of killing somebody, multiple people, and I had my last meal, I can guarantee you that's what it would be. And then the other at the end of that, got a little bit of wine left over. You, you go ahead and you pair that up with sea salt dark chocolate. That's oh. that is the way Ooh. to go with red wine. Oh. Just eight still sounds good to me right now. Are you are you going with a cab? Cab is fine. A cab is okay. fine. I'm I'm more of a Pinot Noir Willamette Valley okay. guy. Okay. Uh, okay, but cab the right cab is actually the number one pairing to go. So I I will mostly agree with you there. All right, all right, that's it. I'm done. DS, you are up, my man. All right, I had to make a lot of distinctions. I eat and drink an awful lot. All right, mm-hmm. so one of the combinations is not even a – it's not even a food and a drink. Um, I've discovered this maybe in the last year. It's a a nice cigar and a cup of coffee in the morning. 
Oh my God. I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people will go with like a, a beer or a whiskey or something. Something about a cigar and coffee in the morning. I mean, Winston Churchill was onto something with that combination. So I think I can uh, smell your breath from here. Through the I screen. think you can. I go. I do go straight to the shower after that. So <laughs> the thing, uh, I, you know what? I sounds. I, I can't say I've ever had that. I've had stogies with some. You know, typically bourbon. I, I would think would be the most. I I would like to try it. I I I just. I'm not awakened like, stogie guy. So to me, it's like it's the the <laughs> cigar makes the coffee go down smoother, and yet the coffee makes the cigar smoke smoother. I don't know. It's an wow. interesting combination. And I so what ruined it for me, quick story time, was I had a Sunday off during the NFL season, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do this damn thing. I'm just gonna we're gonna down a bottle of whiskey, I'm gonna smoke cigars. Uh and I got so sick. For like yeah. three straight days, that I can't handle that combination anymore. So I can't do alcohol and cigars anymore. Um, another honorable mention was a ribeye steak and an old fashioned. I will, I could substitute a red wine in there. And then another thing was any sort of Mexican food, and like for whatever reason, a bottled domestic beer from that Mexican restaurant mm. is always the coldest beer you will ever drink. I don't know what it is. I know you guys don't like beer with your food, but like a Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light with at a Mexican restaurant with whatever you're going to order. doesn't even matter. It just always has like those ice chips in it. They give you a nice frosty mug. Yeah, oh. that's true. They do do a good job with the frosty mug part. That's it's, yeah. There used fantastic. to be a time. This is maybe more for me and Kurt, but Kurt, do you remember the frosty mug phase where everybody was, was doing frosty mugs oh, or, yeah. or, or am I just making that up? Oh no, no, that that's a thing. It yeah. was a thing. Not not so much anymore. I might I might might I might look that back up. Uh, having a nice, you know, got the handle yes. on it, frosty mug it. It's the thick glass. I don't know yep. why. And probably because they're banging those those plates around <laughs> at hundred miles per hour in the in the restaurant. But I mean you can it's, you a, went, it's a certified weapon. <laughs> you went you went places I didn't think you would go on that list, Dustin. Nice mm -hmm. work. That's that's honorable mentions. So number three on my list is uh, I went sweet. I went uh, pecan pie, especially in the fall, with black coffee. <laughs> either caffeine. You are up a way. lot. You are up a I, lot. I I do not sleep very well. Uh, Welcome. <laughs> number two on my list. Two on my list. I'm usually a red wine. If I'm going to drink wine, usually a red wine drinker. But I love kit, uh, chicken Cajun pasta. With a white wine, usually a Pinot Grigio. This is—I right. feel like this is an upset for a uh, for the eyes on big podcast. So wow, the way it just Pinot cuts Grigio. through that uh, spice. Yeah, big fan. Is, not not. Don't you want to go more shard, a little bit drier, a little bit drier grape there? You, you go to the sweet you Pinot can, Grigio, huh? Or you can go um, um, Sauvignon Blanc, maybe. Okay, am I thinking right? You wow. can go. There's you can pair a lot of different white wines with a, a good chicken Cajun pasta. I feel like I'm peeling back some layers of the shooty that I never thought I'd find here. This is this is good stuff. I make a, I make a mean chicken pasta, so it's more okay. of the food. But but I, when you find a good pairing on a white wine, um, and then my last one was actually your second. I went with barbecue brisket and bourbon nice. as my number one, and then preferably as my sides with that are going to be baked beans and mac and cheese. Fantastic. That that might be my 
my second meal if I kill I just, other people in a different state where I get two meals would, would be that one you just named right there. That's fantastic. If anywhere I go, I always try to seek out a bourbon or a, a, a barbecue place. There's been some places I've been where they it's like a combined barbecue and bourbon bar. Oh, my God. It is heaven. They've got lists upon lists upon lists of different whiskeys, rice, bourbons, anything you could. It's my favorite thing. That's fantastic. Uh, uh... There's a famous Dave's right by my house. I don't know if you have famous Dave's down in your area there, DS, but it's it's ready to go ribs and and bar. It's not Ooh. it's not high level stuff. If somebody came from <laughs> the south and they had it, they would you know they would they would definitely be disappointed. Uh, but when you are just out of things that you're going to cook or do, yeah. so go grab that takeout. It's literally like a mile and a half from my house. I've already got the bourbon sitting there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a quick and easy, nice little Friday night meal, you know, when you don't feel like cooking. So nice like work. and mac and cheese, you know, you get the mac and yeah. cheese. Going too, so. I'm not saying I don't pair bourbon with food because I do, but it's, there's no joy and there's no synergy that happens there. It's just me drinking. And to your point about beer but, and, and, and to, to build off of that, you don't like to have anything with your bourbon you you don't want old fashions you don't even want ice you 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 just want the no, bourbon I've, at room I've temperature moved, i've moved to that one big cube cube and and it's your fault by the way i used to drink it neat. <laughs> yeah but that's the but, one uh, thing i've impressed upon you right there wow yeah. thank yeah success but you mentioned that beer doesn't pair well with many things i agree except so beer really pairs well with beer. That's what you should be doing. <laughs> when you're drinking beer, just keep drinking beer. <laughs> and beer pels. Now, funny thing is, but if you switch beers, sometimes it's disgusting. Oh, yeah. uh, it's like switching salsas. I don't know if you ever do that. You try one salsa and you go to another, you're like, ah, you go back to the first one. It's like whatever that first beer salsa is that hit. The one thing I would say is the only thing that t- pairs well with beer is stuff that makes you want to drink more beer like peanuts like peanuts on on a bar drinking beer that i don't know if that counts as a food pairing but that does work yeah you can't even go wings no (sighs) no in fact wings and beer would would be near the bottom for me wow yeah yeah facts i don't know all right sorry sorry okay so honorable mentions I, I I did I do like Mexican food with the Mexican beer. My preferred Mexican beer in that situation is Dos Equis Lager. I do like sushi with Japanese beer. We already talked about that, but I'm gonna get it right into my top three pairings. Uh, these are in no particular order, by the way. I'm just gonna go three, top to bottom, milk and chocolate chip cookies. Oh, and that's I'm, good. And yep. I'm also gonna put and I'm gonna go whole milk, and I'm also gonna point out i have two sweet things on this list which wow blew my mind wow things are changing in indiana holy (laughs) cow ice cubes and your bourbon and sweet things holy buckets i want to put kurt's top three pairings alongside his cereal rankings (laughs) (laughs) okay doesn't make sense next pairing Coffee and a morning pastry, preferably a traditional yes. coffee cake, a cinnamon yeah. coffee cake, oh. or a well well done scone. Not a not like a Starbucks scone, a real scone. Either one of those. That okay. is, again, this list is our is going places. I didn't. That is fantastic. Uh, uh, the 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 family and I, uh, we will sometimes have Saturday morning activities, and if the boys are good. 
uh, we will go to a donut place to get donuts and usually have some coffee left over. It's a treat for it's a treat for dad too. Along with that, that that is a fantastic choice. I'm impressed. And the one savory of my top three has already been mentioned. It's a nice steak and a nice red wine. And this is another thing, Greek. You you missed another thing that you've imparted on me. We have very similar wine palates. I have learned that, I, and I'm not a wine drinker. But when I drink wine, a Pinot from the Willamette Valley is really, I don't want anything else. That's what that, I've decided. That is I, my wine. I don't want to drink anything else. Can so I that, tell the story? That of, with a, can I tell the story on. of the moment that I think you you we discovered that or you discovered that at the, at my house? So pairing that with preferably a ribeye, that's your best cut of meat. But then I, I love a fillet too. I, you can go, I can go either way. Um, DS, this was a couple months ago. Um, eyes on big listener. My, my guy Zed was over. He was up from, from Illinois. We were hanging out. We, we cooked up some steaks. It was for the uh, NFL playoffs. So it was, it was in January and Kurt being a nice guest, he brought a bottle of wine. Yeah. It's a nice thing to do. New two bottles of wine. Nope, two Utah. bottles of wine. Utah. Utah. Give two. me two. <laughs> and he knew that I liked Pinot Noir. You know, and he said, hey, let's open that up. And I looked at the bottle and I saw it was California Pinot. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to drink that, but I will definitely open that up, open that up for, for Kurt. So we had he had my bottle of wine that I had open, which was the Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. And then he was like, hey, let's try that wine uh, uh, that I opened. I'm like, OK. So I poured him a glass and he, <laughs> he takes a drink. He goes, what is this? This is gross. I can't drink this. <laughs> And I'm like, it's bad. Because it's a California Pinot, not a Willamette Valley. And he's like, I didn't know that was such a big difference. And I said, you know yeah. what? I didn't know it either until our 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 pod sponsor, Vegas Sportsbook guy, who is even more of a wine person than he is bourbon or tequila. By the way, I'm mm-hmm. drinking Trace Agaves as we speak. He's the one who taught me through the wine stuff some 10 years ago. Everybody learns at their own pace, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, and I always knew I liked the Willamette stuff. I just didn't think I hated the California stuff. Now, I will say you won't hate the California stuff so much if you start in California Mm -hmm. and stay in California. But if you start in Oregon and then move south to California, that that just doesn't work. I I don't know why. It just it just it just stinks. Interesting. Usually usually never want to stay in California. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. I never thought I could tell the difference between different wines, but, and I don't know that I can like independently, but when you pair them with food, it changes the flavor so much. Like it's, it's crazy how much that has changed my, changed my food ways. Yep. And then all you got to do is just a simple internet search food pairings. You know, if you've got a, a meal that you have in mind that you want to cook for you, somebody else or whatever, just look up the booze that they recommend. Typically these people know what they're talking about. And it works well. All right. You guys got anything you want to add there? All right. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel age technique creates characteristics from the individual barrels that are blended together to make an exceptional whiskey. Perfect sip neat or in your per- favorite bourbon cocktail. Amador is the perfect go-to this fall and game day. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, Raised in California, we move on to our final ranking of the season, the Big Ten Coaches Ranking, the official 
So what we do here is each independently, we come up with our list, 14 down to one. And then I take those lists, put them all together to make the one master list. A couple of interesting notes that I thought you guys, along with hopefully our audience, finds interesting. We all had the exact same one, two, three, four, and five coaches. We were one spot away from going one through six, the exact same. You guys had one, two, three, four, five, six, the exact same. Mine is a little bit different. We also have number 13 and 14, the exact same for all three of us. So the madness kind of begins from seven to 12 is where the fun stuff's at. Right. And we got a bunch uh, bunch together there as well. So kind of some interesting stuff. So we will start at the bottom. Number 14, Purdue's Ryan Walters. Kurt? Yeah, this one's easy. We're looking at zero sample size. His sample size is nothing. It's a vacuum. We So you can't say, I mean, you, you certainly can't say he's the best. Some could argue you can't say he's the worst, but until he does something, until he puts something on the board, even if it's bad, I can't rank him anything other than 14th. And I will say a little skeptical of the higher, obviously near and dear to my heart. I'm cheering for the guy. I just don't know that it's the greatest fit for winning at Purdue. Agree or disagree with this, Kurt, because I, I think I agree with what you're saying. In my opinion, when Purdue has won and gotten kind of the program where it needs to be, it's been through like a Joe Tiller, Jeff Brown, where they are like, it's, it's based kind of like on hard work, lunch pail, all the stupid cliches, blue collar type of thing. And I feel like Ryan Walters is trying to bring a little bit of glitz and glam to Purdue. And that's just, to me, that's not going to work. I'm like you, like, I hope it works. I want it to work. I don't want Purdue to have to go through another coach in three to four years. I just, with his inexperience, with his type of style, I just don't think that fits the mold of what Purdue has done in the past and what has made them successful. And he's also trying to marry a flashy offense with a great defense. Yeah. I don't know. Good luck. It's like, yeah. it's like pairing beer with Diet Coke with a steak, right? It's just right. <laughs> typically not going to work out very well for you. Hey, Diaz, do you think if Ryan Walters shows up, the first game with a bill of his hat all for the love of god in a in a <laughs> tight square do you think that'll help him you know what i will yeah. say though i do feel better about my dance moves seeing him record so many of his own dance moves and and confidently post them on both instagram and twitter just head bobbing biting his upper lip like i just feel like it's it's that scene out of hitch the white man's overbite that's that's fantastic all right yeah. um by the way uh, a, a weird uh, uh, when Harry met Sally reference there for anybody that got it, which I'm sure nobody did. By the way, this is totally my fault. I was going to throw out what you, you are your criteria was for your coaches. Uh, mine essentially is a combination of resume and recency, right? The, the, the two R's, okay? With Ryan Walters, he has neither. He has no resume. There, the recency is good, right? It's it's at what he did at Illinois as a defensive coordinator. Methinks Brett Bulma, a coach that we'll get to later on in the list, probably had something to do with that. And there's, as Kurt pointed out to me, there's a little bit of sketchiness even before he got to Illinois. Like, I feel like Brett kind of really helped him out quite a bit there. He, he's at 14 because, again, we, we, we just don't have the sample size. The good news is he can move anywhere but, but up. 
Yeah, and shame on me. I should have gone over my criteria. I've got four criteria. Overall resume, and I'm really talking about head coaching resume. I guess, you know, coordinating position coaching, that factors maybe a tiny bit, but I'm really talking about overall coaching record. My next uh, criteria is Big Ten coaching record. My After that, there is some recency bias. And then this is probably more incidental, but like subconsciously my projection for the future too. Yes. So I've got four criteria. Literally, I, I just said resume and recency, but if I was to expand on that, it would have sounded exactly how Kurt just explained it right there. My criteria was based yellow scratchy chin emoji and where I okay. thought that each coach belonged. <laughs> Which is about as scientific as what Kurt just said. So it's, it's totally, it's totally fine. All right. Uh, people sometimes get like, what's the criteria? I don't understand, you know, what you're looking for. So I think it's good to go through that. All right. Number 14, that was Ryan Walters. Number 13, again, each one of us had it. Indiana's Tom Allen. Kurt. Yeah. Tommy kind of, I, I feel like this may be a thing where he burned too bright. Like he flew too close to the sun and his, his wings fell off and he's crashing back to the earth right now. Can he save it? I'm, I don't know that he can. Nothing seems to be going right in Hoosier land right now. So I feel like he's very much on the hot seat. He's got to do something this year or else it's probably his last year. Which to me is really interesting because I never would have thought Indiana would have fallen this far because even when they weren't great, five and seven in 2018 or 17 five and seven again in 2018 they were within they went into the final game of the season against purdue with bowl eligibility on the line so they were relevant all season they kind of ripped one off in 2019 go eight and five they have a really good season during that covid year and then they just fell off a cliff so i've they've he's lost all the momentum in recruiting with nil indiana's got no they've got no help in terms of nil for their football program it's all funneling towards men's and women's basketball he's he's got an uphill battle to face and i think part of it is his fault i also think part of it is going to be administration and there's just no interest in indiana football so um if if they were five and seven and four and eight these past two seasons i think i'd have tom allen still a little bit higher on this list but they've just looked so bad and non-competitive i think he can save it relatively easily like i think if indiana is in the five and seven ballpark and they're competitive again, I think he saves his job. But when you look at the talent and the, how bad the offensive and defensive lines have looked, I just don't know if he's going to have enough to, to get it there. Number 14, Purdue, number 13, Indiana, uh, tough goal of it in the Hoosier state right wow. now, even Notre Dame's not extremely happy with their coach. Um, <laughs> Kurt, you just moved to Indiana. Now that I think about it, do you have anything to you sabotage anything there, brother? Um, what have I done? <laughs> done um yeah I, I tell you what uh tommy allen food flew too co close to the sun wings got singed teeth teeth still in place that's st still bright ready to you can see those 2020 was the bright spot i will say 2019 was good too do you remember yes. when we already thought tommy so i just feel like that needs to be mentioned okay 2020 wasn't the only good thing he's done it's just that 2019 is looking further and further from the rearview mirror um with indiana football as as kind of ds talked about there's always you, you always got to mix in the environment and the expectations okay so that that is part of it 
I don't think anybody's expecting Tom Allen or any Indiana coach to consistently go nine and three, you know, uh, 10 and two stuff like that, that that's darn near unheard of. Um, but if you stay on the losing side of the deal for too long, any coach is going to get run out of town. I don't know if that's this year just yet, like a two and 10 type of thing. Yes, probably maybe even three and nine, but if he gets to that four or five win and it's looking better by the end of the year, as DS kind of says, I, I think he he can keep out of that. I'm hoping that's what it is, something like that, because I, I like having crazy Tom Allen in the conference and for us to talk about. But but one thing is for sure, he's got to pick it up and pick it up pretty quick here. All right, number 11 is Rutgers, Greg. 12. Uh, tw- uh, number 12. 12, excuse me. Yep. Rutgers, 12. Greg. And by the way, by the way, 12 through 8, for me, pretty much interchangeable. So hmm. if someone's upset at at, um, at at my rankings in this area, I had Shiano 10, though. Um, looking at it right now, the reason I do, and actually I'm, I'm questioning myself now, so not much Big Ten success because all of its success – which was great right. at Rutgers, which is now a Big Ten school, but it was outside of the Big Ten. And now when he came back, I felt great right out of the gate. It's one of those things where pretty much, maybe not week one, but two or three are like, this looks so much better than the Chris Asher. I was so excited. But that's really petered off. And you look at the offenses he's trotted out there. If he doesn't bust a grape on offense this year, he's going to plummet down this list for me right now but i just i have a ton of respect for him so i did have him up at 10 and i think to that point he had to work so hard to get the program back up to just formidable because ash had dropped that team so low so to get to three and six in 2020 and to be competitive in a lot of those games it felt like a big win then they go they win five games they kind of sneak into a bowl game uh because some teams dropped out the next year I thought 2022 was a year they might get to six or maybe even seven wins. I thought they would I, – I don't know about easily, but I thought they would sneak into a bowl game. So I thought 2022, not much improvement on the offensive side. Their defense I didn't think was nearly as good as what we saw the previous two seasons. So I was really disappointed in 2022. So maybe I had Shiano low for, for a little bit of the recency bias in 2022. But this is one that I don't think I thought was going to take off. But I thought by now – I'd feel a little bit more confident with where Rutgers was as a program. And I just don't, it feels like they could linger in that four to eight category for the next five or six years. Yeah. I think uh, the thing I, I uh, mostly think about with Shiano is um, right when he got to Rutgers, it was shocking how much better they looked compared to Ash. Like it's that has not been taken out of my memory just yet. But it's getting further and further away. Um, I mean, they made the bowl game off of the five and seven record uh, when they, you know, backfilled the team that, that didn't want to play. So technically, they got to a bowl game. But you know, we're really looking at what would have been two years in a row, three years in a row, I believe, not making a, a bowl game. So it, it's got to it's got to look better soon. Um, Gavin Wimsett pretty much needs to be the guy um, as much as possible because I, I I don't know what else is the difference maker that I'm seeing on that roster right now. Um, the change of divisions would help Rutgers quite a bit to not have to play Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan every single year, even to just drop one of them could help them get into the, you know, fighting for a bowl game, the last game of the year type of deal. 
Uh, so if I'm Shiano and I'm a Shiano supporter, you want to see a good enough thing happen this year so that when the divisions are gone, maybe it would help them out in 2024 and beyond. Don't think it's going to happen this year that they make a bowl. Uh, and then the other thing I would point out is I've been surprised. Rutgers fans themselves are getting kind of angsty with Shiano. Like, I think they were very happy with them at first. This is, I don't want to say a make or break year, but this is a make or anger year. Okay. Yeah. Where if he, they're either going to like him again, or they're going to be angry at him going into 2020. I think if he doesn't have a good year, he's on the hot seat. Definitely. Definitely on the hot seat. If not. All right. Next coach up. And by the way, this was close. All right. Uh, 11 and 12 were extremely close to each other. Number 12 is Michigan State. Sorry, I did. I screwed that up. Number 11, excuse me. Uh, you know what? Let me reset that. Number 14, Ryan Walters of Purdue. Number 13, Tom <laughs> Allen of Indiana. Number 12, Greg Ciano of Rutgers. Number 11 is Mel Tucker of Michigan State. Kurt? Hmm, I had him quite a bit higher. Again, all these are interchangeable at this point. The thing is, he's trending down. Now, that's some recency bias, but that's that's part of my criteria. I'll, the thing, when you look at him, not a large sample size overall. The one year at Colorado and just a few here at Michigan State, and he had literally one good year. And look at what's happening right now this offseason. It's it's in shambles. Which, like I, so I don't want to Which, by the him. way, Kurt, I was shocked to see that you had him eighth. Okay. That's pretty high. That's quite a bit higher. That's why look I bumped him in front of Shiano. Look what he did a couple of years ago. That's why I had him that high. But I don't want to project too much on the offseason right now. The offseason is a disaster, but we haven't played the season yet. I want to give him a chance to play the season. But I do feel like next year he's going to be lower than, than eight for me. Okay. The reason I had him at number 11 on – on my list, the exact point you pointed out, and that is he's had one good season. He's 23 and 21, and essentially half of his wins as a college head coach came in 2021 when he had Kenny Skywalker in the backfield just eviscerating every defense that he saw. I mean, he deserves credit for bringing that in, doing, you know, recruiting from the transfer portal really well during that 2021 season. I think he did do a good job coaching, getting the right guys in place. But when you have that much roster turnover on a year to year basis, I don't think it's sustainable. And to see some of the guys that he's lost this year, losing Peyton Thorne, losing Keon Coleman, um, it's another thing where did they just have that one really good season and Michigan State's just going to kind of flounder a little bit? Or can he he actually build a program? I'm not convinced. I think here's if if you had 10 years of Mel Tucker, I'm convinced that you would have four really good seasons – and six seasons that were around four and eight, five and seven. Wow. Because I don't think he's building a program. I think he's building a team each and every season. Interesting. That no, that's a that's a very interesting take. And, you know, one of the comments I have down for Mel Tucker in the 2021 season, it's the old Sesame Street, which one of these doesn't look like the other, you know, because right <laughs> now that one's kind of sticking out on his own. I think I made a comment that actually supports what you're saying, DS, where his win totals, when you look – added over the years might look like an EKG chart up and down, up and down. <laughs> so, so, you know, we're kind of on the same page with that tough week. Holy cow. Tough week. He's, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but I was higher on Mel Tucker at the original higher than most people were. I got pretty puffy chesty with that in 2021 as they were stacking up the wins. Doesn't look as good. Uh, uh, recently, I do think he has enough, you know, charisma 
and want to 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 make it to make it good again. Okay, like, and I would hope you know with that nine years left on his contract looming large, I would hope that would be motivation for him or somebody close to the athletic department to give him the motivation. You got to give him credit for what happened in 2021. He went and got those players. He put that thing together. He deserves credit for that. It's not like we don't think that, but this is a pretty pivotal year and Michigan state fans that I've talked to a little bit in DMS, they're, they're, they're worried, you know, they're worried. They, they maybe not admit it so much, uh, you know, out in the public, uh, big year, not a, not a Mel Tucker disliker, you know, like I, I think he adds flavor to the conference. We will see how it goes. All hey, right. Me, hey, my, myself and Mel Tucker, we could, we could get along well with a cigar and a cup of coffee in the morning. Although I'm not, I'm not sitting out by his damn bird feeder though. No, no. And he looks, he looks pretty cool with, with the cigar. Got to give yes. him that. All right. You guys ready for the cool thing here? We, we, we are up at it. We have got a three way tie for the wow. next coach. Pretty interesting thing. So essentially all of these coaches tie for ninth. So what I did, I hope you guys don't mind. I took the, I took the uh, uh, authority to rank them by seniority. So the least senior person we will talk about first, then to the next, then to the next for the third. So tied for ninth. The first one we will talk about is Nebraska's Matt Rule. Whoa. Yeah, I had Matt rolled down at 12. Wow. I, I could have put him at 11. But so he, he had he had a lot of success at P5 and he had a lot of success with Baylor. Um and I do expect him to move up, but he just has no experience in the Big 10. So the guy I had uh, I had him be- below one guy that had a little of experience in the Big 10. But we just don't know what to expect of Matt Rule in the Big Ten. Great resume, looks fantastic, Temple and Baylor. But I just have to. I, it's just wait and see. And I do think that next year when we do these rankings, he'll be higher. So I had Matt Rule at number seven in the middle because I saw what he did at Temple is a really hard job. He got them to back-to-back 10-win seasons. And I remember that for that game where they sacked Christian Hackenberg 10 times when they played Penn State and beat the living piss out of them in 2016 is a game that I will forever remember. Um, that was one of the – I mean, just an incredible football game on the side of Temple. The fact that he then went to Baylor and took a program that was from the bottom and then rose them all the way up to an 11-2, and 11-3 uh, team – this to me is like to me, Matt Rule is what Nebraska thought Scott Frost was going to be, and so maybe I'm doing a little bit of projecting there. But I looked at where he was. Temple's a really hard job. Baylor, when he took that over, was a very difficult job. I think he's kind of running into the same thing. Not nearly as like um, Nebraska's not as bare bones, obviously, as Baylor, but he's got some work to do. So we'll wait and see. But I think based on his past success, the fact that he did it at Temple, the fact that he did do it in a power five conference at Baylor. That's why I had him so high. I got an analogy. Don't know if this is going to work, uh, but this would be like back in my twenties uh, where you would have a girl, nice girl. And she liked the projects, the guys that were just a mess that she would, you know, date, get the help them get their lives turned back around. But the second he then was a, a normal person, she lost 
interest and then moved on. That's kind of what Matt Rule has done at both Temple and Baylor. So my biggest thing is, will he stick around and keep winning once? Because I believe once he gets Nebraska turned around, we've we've never seen that. It's been essentially two years at both places and he moved on. Now, he moved on to a better job to go to Baylor. I get it. Questionable to move from Baylor to uh, the NFL. You know, I, I, he just doesn't, he never seemed like an NFL coach to me. And, and just out of curiosity, did you guys ding him for what happened in the NFL? No, no, not at all. Yeah. It barely even registered with me. But Hey, Um, how come I never met this gal that took these projects (laughs) and did something with them? I didn't know you in my twenties, man. I would have, Hooked you up with Allison, you know. <laughs> Anyways, um, Allison, call me. <laughs> Anyways, Matt Rule, likable guy. He is, he is the epitome. It's here's another relationship thing. You often see people when they break up with somebody, they go find something completely opposite. I think that's what we have here, going from Scott Frost to Matt Rule. And by the way, that's what Trev Alberts and the Nebraska fans wanted. That's why they got Matt Rule. This was the right hire. Um, I had him a little bit higher than the list. I had him eighth uh, on the list. Um, and I do believe he will he will have success. The major ding is just the best thing that I can say that he's done was the two years at Baylor, which is very, very impressive. That is a Power 5 conference. It's a Power 5 light conference, but he definitely deserves credit for that. Um, I just want to see it happen in the Big Ten, and then I want to see him sustain it in the Big Ten. Those are two things we just haven't seen simply because he hasn't had a chance. So one quick thing I want to add, I guess I did factor this in his NFL experience because I think there is something to be said for a guy who was not successful at one place. And again, maybe I'm just making too much of a comparison to Scott Frost here, but that guy was successful. I think even as assistant coach, he was a part of one team with a losing season. So why wouldn't you think you could go in and be great somewhere? I think Matt Rule got served maybe a slice of humble pie when he was in the NFL in Carolina. And maybe that maybe he doesn't come into that Nebraska job thinking he's – I mean, I'm not saying he was like that beforehand. I don't know. But I think I think having having that lack of success in the NFL – and having to take a step back and look at yourself, I think that that is beneficial going into this job. I don't think it was a slice of humble pie so much as it was a slice of, okay, now I tasted that, and I know I don't ever want to do that yes. again. Like, I, I, he right, probably right, right. had a curiosity, and now he that's that's done. You know, I mean, right. like Saban went through the same thing. It, some guys, for whatever the reasons are, personality, how they just like to attack things, are just simply a better fit for college and the NFL. I, I, I think that's, that's Matt Rule. Uh, again, by the way, a guy that you could sit down and have bourbon and brisket with, it's yes. it's definitely Matt Rule. You know, he's got the Big Ten ties, right? You got to give him credit for that. Played at Penn State. He's got the, you know, got a little bit of paternal imprint on him for how to do things in the Big Ten. Um, I think he's doing things right. It's going to be exciting to see where he's at. But from the lack of big-time experience, that's where he's tied at nine with the next coach we will talk about with more Big Ten seniority. Maryland's Mike Loxley. Um, just like to point out, our guy Kurt had Mike Loxley all the way up at seventh. Ooh. And I just got a theory. Got Loxley seventh. He's got his guy Beetle higher than I thought he'd have him. Me thinks Kurt just likes himself a rotund head football coach. 
<laughs> or or maybe I'm an Illini homer too. But yes. no, I I had Locks higher because he's been doing it in the Big Ten now for a few years. The guys that I have below him, well, one of the guys that I have below him, he's kind of a newcomer to the Big Ten. Not exactly a newcomer, but kind of a newcomer. Locks, um, look, I know Shiano is the guy that chops wood, but what I think Locks is doing, he's chopping wood right now, meaning he's getting better every year. He's just yeah. putting in the work. And it keeps going up and up and up. And I did not have the confidence in him when he got hired. I thought it was going to be a three to four year job and he was going to be out of there. I was completely wrong. He just quietly keeps getting better. And and seriously, quietly, like I think people are kind of sleeping on Maryland right now. But one thing I will say, I'll, I'll criticize him a little bit, does a great job recruiting. Got to keep those recruits, not just take the recruits, got to hold the recruits. Um, and at this point, I've almost forgotten about his stint at New Mexico. I think that's probably the, the best thing, right? Because it was such a disaster when he was at New Mexico. But I agree with, like, when he was first hired, I famously or infamously wrote a column about how that was going to be a three-year job for him and he was Maryland was going to be finding its next head coach. I didn't think it was a good fit. Um, I didn't think it was going to be a good transition given his past and what Maryland was going through at that time. He's, he's proven – I talked about humble pie – my, myself, all I'll, drink, I'll eat all that with a, with, a, with a cup of coffee. Um, he's been outstanding, and I think when you look at where Maryland is in the Big Ten East, seven and six, eight and five every single year. If the to me, the next step is obviously you want to win some of those games. You want to be able to beat Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. You're never going to be able to do that regularly, but if you can do that once a year and then just be really competitive in those games, I think that's the next step, and I think that that. I think he's capable of doing that. Like, I I feel like we've always knocked Loxley one way or another. Like, he's not a good head coach. Well, the offense doesn't look that great. Okay, now the offense looks really good, but now the defense sucks. They've gotten better in every phase of the freaking game, and I did not think he was going to do it, and he has. So um, I think I had Lox still at number 10 on mine. But, I mean, that, that was there's a lot of really good head coaches in the Big Ten. That was not a knock on Lox. Yeah, I, I pretty much reiterating what you guys said. Uh, the thing I one thing I would add is just I like Locks more than I did at first. Um, he's got the right level of arrogance, but but he you know but he mixes it with just truthfulness. You know, like calling out the Big Ten and the refs and stuff like that. I wish coaches did it more. Uh, appreciate what he when he's done that in the past, deservedly so. By the way, when he said it, he just kind of had enough enough of that crap uh the the football games that maryland are involved in typically are pretty exciting you know uh one way or the other uh obviously the biggest thing the biggest knock is the, the you know getting over the hump uh what i talked about before where greg shiano might be somebody that uh greatly um uh, uh can help himself out by the change in the division mike loxley would be the other one you'd bring up i mean the way michigan penn state and ohio state are rolling right now they just aren't down, you know, so it's tough for a team like Maryland. If you even just remove again, one of those two or one of those three away from your permanent conference or uh, uh, schedule, excuse me. Uh, that could be something that all of a sudden the next thing you know, you turn around, he's got a nine and three record regular season record. And it just flat out looks better. All of that. It was in the taking for Mike Loxley, something that 2000, you know, 21 Jeff would have never thought he would be saying. So he deserves a ton of credit. 
All right, that gets us to our third coach that is tied for ninth, definitely the highest in seniority, Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, I had Fitzgerald at nine. Um, Could have had him lower. However, I'm just still kind of holding on to the pass. It's it's really just post-traumatic stress disorder is is the only reason I didn't have him lower. Um, Last four years have just been really bad. And if you talk to... Northwestern fans. Northwestern fans are really, really down on this program. They're down on Fitzgerald right now. Clearly, clearly looking at it right now, Hankwitz, he was the magic potion. He was the magic wand. And I I I I know I'm I could get struck down when I say this, but he's been defrocked of his wizard wizard status. The, yep. They've they've taken away his his gown and his his potions and his wands and his <laughs> his spells, all of it, it's gone. Yeah, and it was Hankwitz. So I have him nine. That's just PTSD. I could have had him as low as twelve, to be honest with you. And the recency bias weighed in for me too. Um, this was the first 2021-22 were the first time he had a losing record since 2013-14 in back-to-back seasons. But those teams were still really competitive. Right. And you those were teams you did not want to play. I think one of them beat Notre Dame. I think another one beat a really good Wisconsin team one year. Like, they were still really formidable. These teams have been so bad. Three of the last four. And then you look at the the only time they were good was that COVID year when, you know, we don't we don't really know what to make. You can kind of throw the results out the window. I think Kurt's right. I think Hankwitz was the, the maybe the magic potion. I – it's – again, I – with Indiana, like, put them in the same bucket here. I don't know how NIL helps this program. If you're a good player, you're going to move on to go somewhere else. Um, I just, man, it's tough uh, because I have a lot of respect for Pat Fitzgerald, what he's done in terms of his longevity starting in 2006, the way he took over, the way he transformed that program. But it's just looks so hideous that I have I don't have much faith that it's going to look much better this year. And I've said this a couple times before on this podcast. I'll say it again. The seniors that graduated this year from Northwestern never sat in those stands and watched Northwestern beat a Big West team. Oh, crazy. In four years, they never beat a Big Ten West team at home. Wow. Kurt had the uh, wizard uh, comparison. The one I that I kind of cooked up in my head was, ironically, the Wizard of Oz uh, when Toto grabbed the curtain and pulled it away, and you're like, that's it. It's just smoke and levers. That that's pretty yep. much what happened after Hankowitz left. The other thing I was going to add is the two R's that I have: resume and recency. I don't know if there's a coach that is completely opposite, separate. He's got a really nice resume for what he's done in the Big Ten, but the recency is about as bad as it as it could look. Uh, some of these coaches we've already kind of alluded to are moving their way up the list, or we pre- predict that they will move up the list. Seemed like Fitzgerald is moving down and might crazy enough be out of the list. I off the list, you know, because Northwestern's gonna have a new coach. I, I don't know what I find crazier that Northwestern is struggling or that Northwestern fans are struggling with Pat Fitzgerald. Again, that's two things that just weird me out. Do you think if if Pat Fitzgerald if Northwestern goes five and seven these last two years, are they is he still in the top five, do you think? Top five or six in the Big Ten? Of what do you mean? In terms of this ranking, do you think we have him so much higher 
if Northwestern just goes five and seven these oh, last that's- years. Oh. Hmm. I, I would have dropped him down, I think, but he would have probably been. I see what you're getting at, Dustin. It's because it was so bad. Right, exactly. Saying. Yeah. yeah, right. He would have been like fifth or maybe even fourth for me. I don't know. Right. Definitely not fourth. He might have been sixth or seventh. So that's it's a it's an interesting question. I and still that's trending down, but not as sharply. So yeah, and right. but but it is what it is. It it hasn't been five and seven. I mean, one and eleven is <laughs> about as bad as it gets, and we just got to use with with what's in front of us. All right. That gets us through the halfway, so let's do a quick reset. Number 14, Ryan Walters. Number 13, Tom Allen. Number 12, Greg Schiano. Number 11, Mel Tucker. Tied for ninth, a three-way tie. Matt Rule, Mike Loxley, and Pat Fitzgerald. That gets us into the top half of the list. Number seven, a little bit uh, interesting. People are kind of wondering. Might be two rival teams wondering where their coach is at. Number seven is Wisconsin's Luke Fickle. Yeah, interesting that you guys have him so high. Uh, I have met 11. A big part is he's got one single year in the Big Ten, and he finished 6-6. Six and six. Oh, was that at Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois? No, that was at Ohio State. So that that's factoring in huge here. Yes, amazing success at a G5 school, Cincinnati. G5 does not always equate uh, to success in P5. However, here's here's where maybe I'm wrong. That's about, that is, it is as high as you can ascend as a P, uh, G5 school, what he did at Cincinnati. It's the best. It's the best that's ever been done. It's probably the best that ever will be done. But you got to show it to me in the Big Ten. Sorry, Luke Fickle. I had you down at 11. Kurt wants to see that big, thick energy. Before he gets any higher, right? <laughs> All right, I don't. I don't want to um, see the the fick. No, <laughs> I don't. I had fickle at eight, and I see what you're getting at with the comments, Kurt, <clears throat> because I agree with them. The G five success does not always translate, but I think for me, the fact that he sustained it and that he had one, two, three, three. Uh, double-digit win seasons, nine and one in 2020, nine and three last season. I feel like he, and, and I think he's a he's a kind of guy that kind of fits that Wisconsin. Like I'm not saying he is Paul Chris, but he kind of has that same energy. Like I don't think he's overly like he's got an, a, a great personality. I think he just wants to get to work. He just wants to talk football, do his thing. So I think he fits Wisconsin. I am very curious to see how successful he's going to be, how his success at Cincinnati translates to Wisconsin. But I couldn't completely ignore what he did at Cincinnati, getting them into the college football playoff. Wow, you really threw me a curveball with that, comparing him to Paul Chris thing. I, I, I both agree and disagree with you. That's crazy. I mean, he, I do understand what you're going with, but there's just more there. there there's more... There's more charismatic leadership that I feel like I, I get out of Luke Fickle. Definitely brought, thought about the Ohio State situation uh, that Kurt brought up. It was just a weird situation. I mean, it was the tattoo gate, stupidest thing ever. He should have never, you know, had been the coach in the first place. So, so to just get thrust into that position, I mean, it was right before the season, correct? It was like late summer when that yeah. went down. That's just a... That's, t- that's just a tough thing to do. So I just didn't ding him very hard on that. 
but he doesn't have the greatest resume, especially when you go by a criteria that we've all talked about, which is, have you done it in a P5? So I have him a little bit higher than what we have him ranked here, really, really close to it, or ranked better. I, I, I get confused, higher or lower. A lower number, a smaller number is where I have him ranked just barely from from, from where we have. Uh, but what uh, uh, I would say is, is what he did at Cincinnati cannot be taken lightly and also because he seemed to do it the right way it was developing guys that they recruited and were on campus and and made them better football players by the time they lost left Cincinnati I mean Sauce Gardner alone incredible what they did with that guy the uh, quarterback that escapes me now he seemed to get better each and every year and so did the team um I do think he's ready for the big time. There's a feel I have for him where he just seems like he's a heck of a coach. Uh, I hope not. I don't I don't want Wisconsin to go back being Wisconsin again, but it sure seems to me that it's going to be a good fit. The one caveat I would say is that it could be a good fit and it could be successful. I just wonder for how long he will be at Wisconsin. Hmm. Interesting. My, my big curiosity is, such a drastic scheme change. That's the thing yeah. that I'm a little bit skeptical of. Certainly a question that I think uh, people are going to be asking. It looked like it was a drastic change for the offense for what we saw in the spring game. Number six, Minnesota's PJ Fleck. So PJ Fleck, he's a rock. Remember when Costanza in the Seinfeld episode, if you t- Said he, if I if I take my glasses off, you can't tell the difference between me and a rock. That is PJ Fleck. Like it's the same. Like he just, you know what you're gonna get, right? Okay, he did have one bad year. That's his first year. Can't him. He had one excellent year. Every other year, he's he's above, you know, not just above average, a little, a, a lot above average. He has a great running game always, every year. Great defense every year. Now, Gopher fans would say maybe a little bit too conservative, but hey, it's working out. You're winning eight games a year. So one thing I will, one knock on him. I'm disappointed he hasn't been able to come up with a more consistent passing game. I would have expected that he would. And his first few years, I said, I have utmost confidence that he's always going to have a good passing game, great receivers, well-coached receivers. We haven't seen that last couple of years. Otherwise, I'd have them higher. If I was thinking when I would have done this, I would have gone with two separate rankings, pre-plastic surgery PJ Fleck <laughs> and then post-plastic surgery PJ Fleck. Uh, we might need to keep track of that and see row, how that goes. Row, row the Botox. <laughs> That's, I got I to gotta give a shout-out to Vegas Jer. That's not mine. That's Vegas That's Jer's joke. One. I like that. I actually do like PJ um, here's the thing though. I think, I don't remember where I had him last year, but that's six. I could see him dropping quite a bit. And the reason being, I feel like where he's at is where Minnesota's program traditionally, he is Glenn Mason. He is Jerry Hill. Like the, he's not, those guys all had one really good season. And then we're kind of around that six, seven, eight win mark. He's kind of maintained that. So I'm quite like, is it Minnesota's program? Like, I'm not, he's not a bad coach. Don't get me wrong on there on that. But it's not what he's doing is not out of the ordinary for Minnesota. So 
I think after 2019, we thought PJ Fleck was going to do like magical things at Minnesota. He might just have them be between seven and nine wins every year. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that some of the allure of him being the next Nick Saban, as some of us may have thought, kind of wore off. Well, it would have been, as far as comparing him to other Minnesota coaches, uh, would have been anything he's done would have been out of the ordinary for the guy that was trying to get your chili hat uh, two coaches ago. And he's definitely brought it up over top of where Jerry Kill could have it too. He deserves all of that credit. Um, PJ is an easy coach for rival fan bases to, to get on top of and make fun of. You know, don't like the aura on the helmet, you know, type of thing. We, we talked on that a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, not sure if he's my type of guy, you know, with that being said, I'm sorry, fans of other fan bases that hate the guy. You can't deny the success that he's had as Kurt pointed out. He's a rock. He's consistent. Uh, it's just, it's looked like good football. You know, they run the ball and they play defense and they take care of the football. Like that is as flashy as the persona is. How he's getting it done is meat and potatoes. And it's, it's, you just can't deny that about the guy. My only knock is he's got to get over the top. You know, you got to beat Iowa. You got to, they had an opportune chance to get to Indianapolis last year. They just messed it up. You know, that was a great chance. I'd have him even higher if they could have gotten that done last year, but they didn't. So that is the last thing that he's got to uh, uh, do. Uh, the change in divisions potentially could hurt PJ might be about the exact same. I don't know. Uh, pivotal year, not well, maybe not so pivotal, but interesting year with so many seniors uh, uh, and, and key contributors uh, graduating, but I still have faith in Joe Rossi, who's hired by PJ Fleck and what they have to do that he'll have success. All right. That gets us into the top five. And again, each one of us, Big Kurt, Dustin Schutte, and me, Jeffrey the Greek, we all had the exact same coaches ranked one through five. Number five moved up the list in a hurry. Illinois' Brett Bielma. He has so many names. Bielma, Beetle, Burt, Beat. What are we even calling him today? Obviously, you got to take the Wisconsin record into account here. Amazing. The we talked about, or I talked about Shiano looking better from day one. I think uh, Shooty even reiterated uh, that. Greek, we were at the first game, mm -hmm. it literally was night and day from what we had seen yes. the previous season with, with Lovey Smith. He took Lovey's players and he's he went five and seven and then eight and four, and he got these guys into the NFL draft. I mean, look, he's got to do a lot more. He's got to win more games. Last year, you can criticize him for losing the close games. You can criticize him for not having a pass game. Number of things. But, I mean, it's just been it's been a different-looking team in Champagne. And I think when, you, when he was first hired and we do the coaching rankings, maybe even after 2021 – you kind of put that Wisconsin stuff on the back burner because it had been so long. He, he had some up and down years when he was at Arkansas, right? But now the fact that he gets to eight and five and had Illinois 
in the Big Ten West championship hunt until the final week of the season, then you can kind of tie that Wisconsin stuff back in and be like, okay, I think he was a big part of that sex it, su success. <laughs> it, it wasn't just my Freudian slip there. Uh, wasn't just wasn't just. Tell you what, you Grandpa start talking Gary. about these big coaches, man. You get all hot and bothered. We just love it. We love it. You talk about big thick energy. Let me tell. <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, but you can kind of you can kind of tie that with those those years Wisconsin back into it, and that he had a lot to do with that. Illinois trending in the right direction, as Kurt mentioned. He knows it better than anybody. This team looks so much different. I think you have a lot more confidence. Um, I, yeah, I mean, we all had Brett Bielema at number five for a reason. Again, I when he got hired, the the general screaming was from Illinois fans. What did we do? Now, I, I don't know if this, I hope this doesn't wind up being a Loxley thing, but very quickly from the jump, I'm like, guys, uh, this is a good hire. This is a good coach. Three-time Big Ten champion. Okay, you want to talk about somebody who's gotten it done. He's gotten it done a lot, consistently. Um, Big Ten coach of the year as well. Was he a national coach of the year, maybe? I don't know. Handpicked by Barry Alvarez, Prophetstown, Illinois, you, me, I knew this was a better fit for where he was at as compared to the shenanigans that he went through down in Arkansas. That just that just was oil and water from, from the get-go. This dude can coach. He And I saw it firsthand, okay? He was position coach uh, when I was at Iowa. He's got an ability to communicate what he wants to his players. So I'm using a little bit of personal experience here. I know I probably shouldn't do that. But I'm telling you, there's just ways that he he does that, okay? I wish he'd lose a little LBs, okay? Slim down to, to just represent the, the, the program better, you know? But who cares? Maybe there's a sense of, I'm a big boy, and I don't care. What are you going to do about it? Just adds to the persona. I talked about how Loxley just says what he wants because he don't, you know, give a rip. You got a lot of that in, in, in Beetle, too. He just kind of says what he wants to say. Uh, but he does what he wants to do as well, which is play play hard-nosed football and get the team together and playing with each other. He he just does a great job with that type of stuff. And as an Illini fan, he does a great job communicating to the media. This is, to me, an underrated, underrated thing for a head coach, like branding the the uh, program as well, which we haven't we did not see from the previous guy. All right, that gets us to number four, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. Okay, this guy, he's the dean of coaches, right? He's been here forever. He's been doing it forever. He's been doing great. He ages like wine. Like a, but, you know, mostly a fine wine, but sometimes he's had some offensive bouquets <laughs> lately. And I mean that literally, offensive bouquets. Thanks, Mark. Now, I would have had him higher on this list, except that keeping Brian Ferentz as the offensive coordinator is like chewing gum during a wine tasting event. It's, <laughs> it's unforgivable. Yeah. Man, this is a this is a heavy analogous podcast, but it's it's very well. Good job. <laughs> it's unforgivable. I like literally like a, that like one a, thing, like a minty wine with like red right. wine, like oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Drink, <laughs> chewing a spearmint gum, and then like, oh yeah, pretty good, not bad. <laughs> oh, that's great. So he's he's down at four for me, but I could have had him. I mean, honestly, up at two, 
if he had just fired Brian Ferentz and brought somebody else in. Now he's doing great things in the transfer portal. I'm, I am encouraged, but I just think not getting rid of his son is unforgivable. I don't even think I'm not going to harp too much on this. I don't even think you have to get rid of him. Just demote him to offensive line coach. And I okay, think I that's think, fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Not offensive coordinator. Right. No, I, I agree with you. Um, but I mean, pillar of consistency, Iowa every year is seems like they're a, a contender to go to the big 10 championship game. I, I, the joke is always right. Iowa's going to win eight games, but I don't, the way I look at it is Iowa's going to win eight games and then they could get to nine or 10. So to me, that's, that's a compliment. You know, they're always going to hit eight wins. Um, and so they, they're, they're a lock basically to go to a bowl game every year. They finished in the top 25, three of the last four or five years, um, or four times in the last five years, whatever it is. So even though he's getting up there in age and probably, you know, I'm sure he wants to coach for quite a bit longer. Um, he's still finding a lot of success. That's not the easiest thing to do in the big 10, especially when it's becoming more of a young man's game. So uh, I give a lot of, a, a lot of credit to him and I don't know who else you put there. The only thing that's really missing in, in this era would be a big 10 championship since they've split to divisions, but no Big Ten West team has done it. So, yeah, two Big Ten championships for Coach Ferentz, uh, two division championships. Uh, so, it's been a good run. It's been consistent. Um, certainly, the slings and arrows that come uh, Kirk Ferentz's way in the form of the offensive coordinator, his son. I, I get it. Certainly, I guess I would just like if, in the same breath. Every now and then people also would talk about the fact that he's brought Phil Parker in and kept him there for the entire time he was there. And then also, you know, LeVar Woods, the special teams coach, handpicked him, brought him over. Like two thirds of the football team are looking fantastic. And when the third one is even just serviceable, the team in a whole is has been phenomenal. Okay, so if he's so good at hiring coordinators, why not hire a good offensive coordinator? It's a fair question. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying it shouldn't be brought up to to, you know, slings and arrows like I said. It it is 100% deserved. I just find it interesting that so many fans, and it's not even necessarily rival fans, love to attack this guy when so many so many of those teams of those fans have not ever reached the success that Kirk Ferentz has gotten Iowa to consistently for the past 20 years, you know, and, right. it, and obviously I'm, sh I'm flaring up my Iowa fandom here, but it's, it's, it's just true. You know, like he's been more successful whenever you see the most wins, you know, average over the last five years, Iowa's always in the top 10 or right next yep. to it. You know, most uh, 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 players in the draft, Iowa's always right there. There are obvious things you could point at. I, my guess is when certain fans, when I release this list onto Twitter or they just hear this podcast, they're going to be amazed that Kirk Ferentz is fourth. But if you actually sit down and look at the resume and even I dare I say recency, I think it makes a lot more sense than what maybe some people would 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 think. I agree. Yeah. All right. We will do a quick reset. Number 14, Ryan Walters. Number 13, Tom Allen. Number 12, Greg Shannon. 11, Mel Tucker. Tied for nine, Matt Rule, Mike Loxley, Pat Fitzgerald, number seven, Luke Fickle, number six, PJ Fleck, number five, Brett Buelma, number four, Kirk Ferentz. That gets us into the top three. Pretty much, I think people know 
where these are at. I guess you could have a little bit of uh, debate on on some of these, but number three, Penn State's James Franklin. Yeah, this was a huge jump for me from the previous year. I think I had dropped Franklin down. I was losing confidence in him. He finishes 10-2, and two, and this is maybe a little bit of me sticking it to Penn State fans who are seemingly upset with a 10-2 and two regular season record. Those two losses were two. Michigan and Ohio State, two college football playoff teams. Those were their only losses. Oh, but yeah, we, that all we did, we lost to those two good teams, and then we beat the others. We're supposed to beat those other ones, but you did. But you right. did beat the other ones. Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. But he's trending up. He's trending up on the field. I feel like this is a team that could really compete for a championship in the East next year. He's trending up in recruiting. I mean, I expect. To see, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not projecting here, but this is a team I'm going to consider to for winning the East this year. So how and, can I not have them in the top three? And let me just interject, as far as there certainly are Penn State fans that sound just like Kurt, you know, kind of characterized right there. But guys like our guy Perk and Jake, the, the good, normal <laughs> Penn State fans, they're happy with James Franklin, you know, and what he's accomplished. Yes. So... Four 11-win seasons in the last in the last seven years, and one of those seasons that he didn't win 11 games, they won nine, right? So th- I, I know they had a couple down years there. Things were not looking good. But the thing I really like about James Franklin, as Kurt mentioned, he, he's a really good recruit. He's bringing in the right pieces to Penn State. He is also a fixer. He's not a, like if you – if you're a coordinator, a position coach, and you're not living up to your end of the bargain, he will get rid of you like that. It's a not like there are no loyalties with him. It is a business decision. He wants to be successful. We saw it with uh, Taylor Stubblefield, the wide receivers coach, Kirk Shiraka. Um, I think there was an, he had some really good guys in there before with uh, Ricky Ronnie. And who was the uh, defensive coordinator that left that I'm drawing a blank on? Um, yeah. I can't think off the top of my, off the top of my head. But Brent anyway, Bryant. he's had some really good coordinators. But if you don't. Yes. Yes. Um, but if you if you don't succeed in that in the, as a position coach or an offensive coordinator, or defensive coordinator, whatever it is, he will cut you loose because he wants Penn State to be successful. That's the kind of coach you want on your staff, not a guy that's going to hire his buddies or keep keep his buddies around. He wants to do what's best for Penn State. He wants to make those kids successful. So, again, yeah, Penn State, maybe you you'd like to see another Big Ten title game appearance, but if you're winning 11 games every single season, you don't have a lot to complain about. Akron, 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 <laughs> Akron, yeah. Akron, Akron. Hey, that's the tweet, right? It, but yep. I say this, his teams are focused, right? Yep. They are focused. You have got to give him credit for that. We talk about Matt Rule and some of these other coaches that rebuild programs, Right. I see your, you know, Matt Rule at Baylor and Matt Rule at Temple, and I raise you a uh, James Franklin at Vanderbilt. (laughs) That has got to play in to his resume. You know, resume and recency, certainly the Penn State stuff, more recent is what people are going to think about. I still don't think he gets enough credit for what the heck he did at Vanderbilt. I still had him at four last year, so I've moved him up a spot. Actually, him and Kirk Ferentz have just flip-flopped spots for me, for where I had him at uh, last year. That's been incredible. And then, uh, Dustin, you laid it out perfectly with all those 11. I mean, four 11-win seasons in seven years. He's won a Big Ten championship. 
in there. He's won a Rose Bowl recently. For people that it seems to be mostly Michigan, Ohio State fans and some SEC fans, for whatever reason, you would think SEC fans would have more respect again because of Vanderbilt. Um, he, 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 he's getting it done, the recruiting, as Kurt and you guys have pointed out. That is also good. Only thing he needs to do is to maybe do it more consistently in the Big Ten to get over top of Ohio State and Michigan. That's That's been the, the major thing against him the last three or four years. But, man, it's tough to beat Ohio State and Michigan, especially both of them in a year. You know, it is it, it, there are a lot of teams essentially not named Georgia that would not have any more success with what he's done having Michigan and Penn State in, in your division. And I just – do not think he gets enough credit for that. And for the Penn State fans that maybe are frustrated with him for whatever reason or anybody else that knocks him, think about this. When we're going to go to a 12-team playoff, the conversation is going to change drastically yes. on James Franklin because Penn State's going to be either in consideration or they're going to be in the field. Maybe not every year, but once every three years at least based on what he's done during his time at Penn State. Without and a he, doubt. Yes, and he could also benefit greatly from the divisions. One would yes. think, you know, they would have, like if it's a pod thing, one of the two, Michigan or Ohio State, will almost for certainly be pulled out of their pod. There's a chance that both of them would be pulled right. out of their pod. Uh, hang in there, James Franklin and Penn State grumpy fans. There could be good <laughs> stuff happening right around the corner. All right, that gets us to our number two ranked coach, Ohio State's Ryan Day. Or as I call him, the Quaff. Now, you should be winning at Ohio State, but he is winning, and he's winning pretty big. Now, not a huge sample size, I will say that about him, but there's nobody better in the world at coaching up the skill positions and, and recruiting to the skill positions. Having a great, you know, modern, up-tempo, throwing the ball down the field offense. However, lagging a little behind on the line of scrimmage in recent years. And getting beat by Michigan in recent years. Both finally, sides. Both sides now. But, yeah, line of scrimmage. I mean that. Both yep. sides. Not I. When I say line of scrimmage, offense, defense. But also, you finally lost to Michigan. Not once but twice. So I could, I could almost have the quaff a little lower. Like I, I couldn't do it. I, I, I kind of wanted to do it. I kind of tried to do it, but you have to put him at second. I, I'm torn. Like you're supposed to win at Ohio state. He's winning at Ohio state, but should he be winning more? I mean, he's 45 and six. <laughs> Those six, though, are unforgivable. <laughs> so here's. Oh, so, God. That was, <laughs> I can't. That was just a perfect deadpan, Diaz. Nice work. I, uh, uh. I'm not. I'm going to. Okay. okay got to try to regroup here. So the way I kind of graded Ryan Day, and I don't think at this point there's. I don't think you could put him anywhere else. The one thing that would be interesting to me is, and I, I do a lot of, you know, what ifs, or I've said a lot of what ifs tonight. I think that he is hindered by Urban Meyer's success, not for what Urban Meyer did games one through 11, but the fact that he was undefeated against Michigan. 
Like, if he would have went five and two against Michigan, are we viewing Ryan Day any differently because mm. he's one and two? He's just kind of getting started, just getting the ball rolling. I think the fact that Urban had so much success, went undefeated against Michigan, won the biggest game of the year every single year, basically embarrassed them every single year. I think that's why Ryan Day is getting like you don't want to be the guy to follow the guy or be the guy after the guy. Ryan Day has done a damn good job following the guy. He's just come up short against a Michigan team that has made the college football playoff twice. And I would say he followed two guys. Uh, you know, Dressel yeah. won a national championship and owned Michigan as well. Those were really tough shoes for Ryan Day to, to fill. By and large, he has done an amazing job filling those shoes. It's just that I, I the blemish versus Michigan is much more of a blemish to me as compared to not winning a national championship yet. It's, it is tough to win national championships, even harder now than it was in Trestle's era. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and now here we are, all three of us are talking about the second-ranked coach in the Big Ten, and the first thing we do is go to the negatives. Why? Because the positives are so amazing. You know, we all see the positives, the overall record that, that DS hilariously pointed out, uh, the, the overall cleanliness, right, of the program, uh, things are going well in Columbus, but I'm getting I'm getting a little concerticus, you know, as far as what the recruiting looks like outside. The closer you get to the football, the weaker the recruiting gets. That's not going to make it in any conference, let alone the Big Ten. So I don't know what's going on there other than it's just a focus and a philosophy thing. But if he can take care of that, big things can happen. And another thing I would just point out is, you, you know, he could have won a national championship last year. I mean, my gosh, they, I don't even know what to say. Like, is the Georgia game a sense of frustration? If you're an Ohio state fan that is uh, uh, defending Ryan day, or is the Georgia game a sense of pride? Because like they were up by 11 points in the late in the fourth quarter. If they win that game, we're talking about Ryan day having a national championship and we probably have him number one on the list. So you have to talk about how close that is, that razor's edge that he has been on for greatness to could be worse to where he's actually at. It's I had no problem putting him second. He was easily number second. I can't put him, I can't put James Franklin in front of him. The head to head is just right. it's it's all Ryan Day. So there there was no debate there. So there there is less. Ryan Day competing against the rest of the coaches in the Big Ten. It's Ryan Day competing against Ryan Day. And in 2019, they're probably a Sean Wade ejection. I don't know if they would have beat LSU, but they're a Sean Wade ejection from getting to the national championship game and at least playing LSU. And then, as you mentioned, they're a, last year they're a Marvin Harrison Jr. injury away, probably yes. from playing in the national championship game. And I think they would have beat TCU. Yes. So, I mean – that's why that's why when it yes, he does need to beat Michigan. I completely agree with that. But he's been so close that it's hard for me to to ding him too much for those couple losses because I do think Michigan as a program is better now than when Urban was there at Ohio State. All right, that brings us to our last coach, which is obviously Michigan's Jim Harbaugh. All right, khaki pants, my guy. Re- you want recency? Two most recent Big 10 championships. You want overall resume? How about Stanford? How about the NFL? Now, you go back to his early days at Michigan. I didn't have confidence in him. I don't think you did, Greg. You probably didn't either, Shooty. 
he, I, I thought he was going to give up. He didn't give up. There was all these distractions. Could he leave every year? Like, could he leave distractions? No. And now he's the king of the big 10, two years in a row, without a doubt, khaki pants, Jim Harbaugh. He's the guy. I mean, it's, this should be an example for a lot of schools and why you don't get rid of a coach when things are mostly good, but you know, you could maybe do a little bit better because it's paid off for Michigan. I mean, Everybody was ready to run him out of town after 2019, going nine and four. Still hadn't beat Ohio State. 2020 was a disaster, two and four. Called off the game against Ohio State. And then look at what's happened the last two years. Wins over Ohio State each of the last two seasons. College football playoff each of the last two seasons. A pair of Big Ten championships. And by the way, 74 and 25. Not not a bad resume. Like even when people were calling for his job, his first his first four seasons, 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5, 10 and 3, and then the next year 9 and 4. So even when people were calling for his job, he was winning 10 games. He was averaging like 9.5 wins per season. So I think that like to me the most impressive thing I agree with Kurt, he stuck around. But I think you should also we need to also give credit to Michigan's administration to maybe not move on from him because their decision to stick with it has paid off. Yeah. And the, uh, if uh, what, something that Kurt has pointed out previously on the podcast is if you actually look back at Michigan, the past 25 years or so their average wins, he's above it or, or mm-hmm. at least right at it. I, I think sometimes the mystique of Michigan is actually the, the mystique is actually higher than the reality if you just look at you know their their average wins per year over that that time frame. Another person that has been really close to being even greater. Think about that that you know got called first down in Ohio State 2017 18. You know yeah. what? How different is it if that if they win that game they they probably go to the playoffs. He would have already had a playoff on there. So the 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 uh, success that Jim Harbaugh has had at Michigan could be even greater. I don't know how they lost to TCU last year. So then he could have had even that close to having, you know, a, a, a championship game uh, appearance on his resume, but they like her brought up. I mean, Stanford was absolutely incredible. San Diego state was incredible. San Francisco was incredible. He's literally won every single place he's gone. The only bad year he's had 2020, which does not count because it was the stupid COVID stuff and what he had to go against there. So like, this guy is a winner. He's kooky. Because I'm not a Michigan State or Ohio State fan, I get a kick out of the kookiness. Even through the kookiness, I do feel like he's salt of the earth. I feel like what he tells you is what, I don't know, that that is probably going to make people's eyes roll. I just don't get much snake oil sales salesman from him. I just get weirdo from him, which yes. I think is different. Weirdos and snake oil salesmen, they don't run in the same circles. That's, that's just my personal belief. And now, you know, as far as the recency bias, two-year run winning the Big Ten championship, two-year run beating Ohio State, and they're doing it on both sides of the ball. They can play defense. They can run the ball. They're starting to develop the throw game now. I don't know, man. You know, like I, I see a lot to tip my hat here. I see a lot of projections having Ohio State win the, the Big Ten. I don't know, you know, until you are the champ, you got to beat the champ. And right now I see no reason that Michigan doesn't keep this thing up and going. And a lot of it has to do with Jim Harbaugh. Really quickly, number 14, Ryan Walters. Number 13, Tom Allen. Number 12, Greg Schiano. Number 11, Mel Tucker. Tied for ninth, Matt Rule. 
Mike Loxley, Pat Fitzgerald, top seven at seven. Luke Fickle, number six. P.J. Fleck, number five. Brett Buellman, number four. Kirk Ferentz, number three. James Franklin, number two. Ryan Day, and number one, Jim Harbaugh. There it is, guys. 2023 Big Ten coaching rankings. Any, anyone, you got to add something here. Drink up. Yeah. I've been I've been sipping the, the Trace Agaves tequila as we've been enjoy, recording. Enjoy wait, wait, quick question. Are you guys mint julep drinkers for the Kentucky Derby or pass? Yeah, you I'll know, take a mint julep. I'm bourbony bourbon and only bourbony <laughs> bourbon. I'm not gonna go the max is two mint juleps. Probably yes. one. It is a sugar shot that is and that, and I'll say this. Um I've actually had a mint julep at Churchill Downs. It was actually the weekend oh, nice. after the weekend after uh, mm-hmm. the Kentucky Derby. Phenomenal mint julep. If it's done right, it's incredible. Typically, if you're like at a Kentucky Derby, my neighbors have a Kentucky Derby party. They made one. It's like, okay, I'm just going to smile and say thanks for making it. But yeah. A mint julep to me is kind of like candy corn at Halloween. You just have, you know, one or a handful yeah. and you eat. You're good. You're good. You did it for the occasion, and then you can move on. Do, See you drink next year. Bur- yeah, bourbon neat. It will be did, my next drink. Did have a julep at the Downs for the Derby. It's probably the only one I'll ever have in my life. Nice. Fantastic. It was a worth one. Uh, funny story is uh, there's a text group I have, just because we're talking about this very quickly, and it's a bunch of us buddies, Hawkeye fans. One of them is my older brother's age, and he is actually owner, part owner. I'm not even completely sure of a horse down in Iowa. He's he, he's involved in the in the you know the horsing and racing world. And uh, we were joking. My Darren the American said, "Why are they always giving these names like sprint the line or you know jump the way?" He goes, "Why don't we just call him Bob Smith? I think that would be a greater name for a, for a, a horse." <laughs> I think you can call them Bob Smith. You you absolutely can. So he goes, you know what, guys? I have got a horse that I have to have named. I hate doing it. Go ahead and throw some names out. And we've been blasting him with names. Oh, I got a name. All, yeah, okay, go for it. Little Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> that's, that's pretty <laughs> I good. I like it, yes. I was going with, I was trying to do the Fletch theme. You know, all of his aliases that he has, like Mitch Kumstein. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mitch Kumstein, yeah. Dr. Rosen Rosen. I think those would be some good ones, but uh, Dr. Rosen penis is another one. <laughs> Boy, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of penis and phallic talk. And, and, Harry S. Harry S. And, and Dustin was especially hard in it, and he was talking about Bud Lights earlier in the podcast. So he's really going, Liddy. He's going. <laughs> that that was one of his sales. Yep, that's a good one. All right, that seems like a good enough point to uh, uh, end on uh, for Kurt. Big Kurt, and for Dustin Chudy, I am Jeffrey the Green, who's by the eyes on Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.